0: Other than that, the next best movie
1: is Dumb and Dumber. Oh, dude, I love Dumb. <laughs> I just did a Dumb and Dumber clip because I'm on, I'm doing TikTok now. I just did a clip. I'm going to send it to you. And do you remember the scene where they got the case full of money, or that sort of oh, the yeah. case full of the receipts? So I've yeah. got, hey, the mortgage broker's like, hey, where's your down payment? And the customer's like, hey, I'm really with my paperwork. Anyways, I'll send it to you. And it like all that. falls out. Yeah, I'll check yeah. It out. Like, I always- hey, don't lose this one. That's a big one. $270 yeah, you $270. may want to <laughs> hang on to that IOU. <laughs> I know that movie's so funny the most inspiring stories from today's most successful mortgage brokers join your host scott peckford on i love mortgage brokering hey broker nation scott peckford here today on the show i have matt oliver from lund mortgages he's based out of arizona he's number 109 of the Scotsman's guide and in 2021 he funded 300 million in mortgages a total of 1169 closed loans so those are not huge loans and amazing business. And a couple takeaways from my conversation with Matt. First, if you ever wondered if radio, like remember old fashioned radio that's in your car, does it work? Can you get business from it? Matt not only proves that you can get business from it, he literally gives us a game plan for how to make it work. What to do, how to do it, how to get the ads done. Like anything, the devil's in the details. And Matt and I dive into this in our conversation. We also talk about database marketing and of course the size of database that they built and how their recent pivot into their database has been extremely profitable for them. They're going to enjoy this conversation with Matt. Before we jump into the show I want to give a shout out to our title sponsor Finmo. Finmo is a Canadian mortgage application document collection submission platform and one of the cool features they just recently launched was smart submission notes. So you know you put all the details in the loan and then you go to hit submit but then you got to put together your notes. You got to explain where you came up with everything. It actually pulls the data that you had put into the notes or into the application and then helps with the submission notes and makes it faster, more consistent for your lenders to get you quicker yeses. Check them out at finmo.ca and in the upcoming segment, I'm going to talk to Ben McCabe about grey divorce. So what is grey divorce? Is this thing you can only get when you are grey? We'll have a conversation, check it out and check out this conversation with Matt. Hey Matt, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: So, hey, tell me a little bit about yourself and your business. So I started in the first mortgage side of business in October of 2007, obviously where I'm at now. Prior to that, I was working at Chase in a call center doing home equity lines of credit back in the you know, 2003, 2004 and on time frame. I met my wife now, I met her in 2005, and literally the first time when I asked her what she did, she said she owns a mortgage broker company. I was perplexed. I said, why would anybody go to a broker to get a mortgage? Why wouldn't they just walk into Chase Bank or Wells Fargo or anything? That's how raw I was at that time, 25 years old. People still think
1: old. that, by the way. People still think this, unfortunately.
0: Yeah, that's the way I thought. So she obviously kind of schooled me on what was going on. So I started with her company, her and her father's company in October of 2007, which was a great time to start in the in the first mortgage origination business. Yeah, and, you could print uh, money
1: back then. It was crazy, crazy times. Well,
0: no, because it was like four months later, it was gone. You know, because oh, we oh were, right,
1: yeah, yeah, okay, two thousand seven, yeah, right, yeah right, right, okay, ahead, yeah. Right. But it was, I'm thinking two thousand five, two thousand six was. Oh, the I wish. Yeah, <laughs> that's when we were printing money, and then it died. Okay. So you jumped into this. So then all of a sudden it died. Did you question doing that? Were you like, crap, why did I leave Chase? Or I'm curious what happened there?
0: Yeah, no, hundred percent. But at the same time, it obviously hit everybody at that time. So a lot of people were like, I can't believe you left to go to that. And you left working at a corporation where it's, you know, pretty much a guaranteed paycheck, but you know, things weren't going good there either. I mean, people were getting let go. The whole mortgage market collapse was happening and and to add insult to injury, we got married in November of 2008. So pretty much 08 was just to hang on for dear life, if you could, in the industry and everything. And then everybody went through that struggle. And then things progressively got better through 2009 with some of the, you know, they'd called it TARP at that time, the Troubled Asset Relief Program. And that ended up being HARP and, you know, morphing into that refi program that came out because everybody in Arizona in our neck of the woods was underwater dramatically. So, right. I mean, it was just
1: a death trap doing mortgages in Arizona at that time. So just curious, because you're in the Arizona market, if you would have bought a property when it was underwater, where would that property be today? Like, if you could have held on for dear life, where do you think you'd be?
0: Yeah, it probably would have barely got there now. I mean, we actually did buy a house. We bought one in February of 07. I think we closed on it in February of 07 and paid about 400000 at the time. When the bottom of the market was same exact house next door sold for 165 Ooh. we finally ended up, we did hold on to it and rented it out for several years. And I want to say maybe in 2019 or 2020, we sold it for pretty much what we bought it for. And it peaked probably six months ago. Right, so right. at that point, we were just thankful to get out of it and not have to ruin credit or anything like that at that time when we sold it in 19 or 20. But if we'd held on for another two years, we would have done really, really well. So we missed the boat with that house the whole time. I wish I could blow that house up. Yeah, we did the
1: same thing. 2008, my wife and I bought a house because we were a little behind you. So I'm in Canada and the market was, we were delayed a little bit. So 2008 is when we started to feel it more and then literally just dropped and we're like, what the heck? And now it's like, okay, you know, now we have it. It's like, it's been okay. No, it's been good to hold on to it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So tell me about a quote that's had an impact on your life or business. I love how quotes are memorable. They're portable and kind of one of those things I love.
0: For my feelings or who I am as a person, it's more like just shut up and get to work type attitude. I mean, those are the kind of quotes that are (laughs) motivating to me.
1: Shut up and get to work.
0: Yeah. Um, Just, you know, like you control your own destiny type thing. No one's going to help you across the finish line. You need to cross it on your own. You know, something like that is more my style. I get motivated when people are challenging me, I think is more of my style of work
1: and ethics and everything. Right. It sounds like a Bill Belichick quote, honestly. That yeah. Like he, he he probably, say, him and I would say.
0: probably get along, you know, I'd probably curse at him and whatever and be mad that I'd just go out and do what he asked me to
1: do. Right. Okay. So how have you applied this idea of just like shut up and get to work to your business or life? Like how does that show up on a day-to-day basis?
0: You know, there was a time when I was at Chase and still young and they were sending out home equity lines of credit mailers and it was going to increase the business, like the calls that we were taking, it was going to increase them like tripling them. And everybody sat in the room and kind of just, complained and was pissed off about we're going to get triple the calls. I looked at it like, this is great. Triple the calls is triple the commission and so on and so forth. When they were done with the meeting, got out and just started taking calls and got to work. And by the time the rest of the group figured out what was happening, they'd already cut the commission because I had two solid months of just absolutely crushing it. And for a corporation, they keep an eye on the commission structure at all times. So I guess what I'm trying to get at with that was you can sit back and worry about yourself the whole time, but you got to be able to look at the numbers. I looked at the numbers and realized triple the calls meant triple the commission, meant triple everything.
1: And then so so they cut your commission because they were like, wait a second, they're making too much money. So they lowered your commission. Is that what they did? Yes. And by that (laughs) time,
0: everybody had started picking up a lot of volume. So like, I don't know, at that time, let's say you did 10 million in business and it set a company record. I got paid off that. The next person came in and they had 16 million the following month, but they got paid significantly less than I did because they just sat around and kept feeling sorry for themselves. Right, and it goes right. back to what I just said earlier just shut up and get to work, just get out there and get going. I mean, we weren't going to stop it. Like, you're not going to stop a machine of chase and say, we want less
1: mailers or we want less information. Like I knew you just get out there and get to work on those kind of situations. Just do it. Get to work. That's awesome. Okay. So one of the things I found about successful business owners, mortgage brokers is that there's always failure, but looking back, there's always a lesson. So can you share something that you'd failed at, but now looking back, there's a lesson in it for you?
0: Yeah. I mean, I've heard this a lot, but you don't realize that you're doing it until someone actually says to do it this way, but we've tested a lot of technology things or automation situations, things that'll make our job easier and we've spent a lot of money on them and a lot of them failed, but we got over them quickly. We didn't keep trying to beat a dead horse with it. We realized this isn't going to work for our system. Get rid of it. So can you, you, know, can so- you
1: give me an example specifically? Because I always love when we can get like into the weeds. So something that you had thought was going to work for your business doesn't mean that it's necessarily a bad technology, but didn't work for how you guys run. And then how you realize that, wait a second, this doesn't work for how we run it. Just
0: because it's uh, be probably like... of the CRMs out there in the market right now, right? Right, I mean, without naming names, it's just a lot of those. I thought we would get one that would work for our business, but I didn't realize till it's too late that we have to customize the system. You know, we have to be more engaged in the system to structure it or mold it how our system runs, because there isn't going to be one CRM system that works for everybody. Everybody's running their business differently. And it took me a long time to figure and that out. And mortgage brokers
1: are an independent breed. I always say it's like a herding cat. So trying to get them all to do the same thing anyway would be impossible. So imagine somebody tells you to do it that way. You're like, now I'm not going to, because that's how yeah. we are. Because we were talking about this before we turned on the recording. You guys seem to have got your database stuff down. What have you been using that's been working? Or what's been successful in terms of helping you with your database stuff?
0: Well, obviously, just a standard drip campaign from a lot of these CRMs works great. You can't overdo it. We found a couple that, I mean, I know what's in the email, but I don't know what makes the consumer think that I'm literally emailing them, but I get emails every single day of someone saying, thanks for wishing me happy birthday, Matt. I hope you have a great day. And it just seems so odd to me that they don't know that it's an automated message.
1: Yeah. They're um, like, they're like Matt sitting there. Like, okay, who am I? Happy birthday, <laughs> right? like
0: Bill." I'm
1: waking up and I'm just sending out 50
0: emails a day saying happy birthday. But I think it's kind of a cool thing. I definitely do engage back with them after I get those messages because then I think that puts an extra added touch on them, you know, Hey, I hope you have a real good day. And you know, what, something else that I can put more of a personal touch on it. So the email drip campaigns works really good. If you're not overdoing it, not over killing it or sending it out too much, but the one that we've used recently, that's just absolutely been on fire for us is sales boomerang, but that's one that you have to have a decent amount of clients to put into it. That one right. has gained us so much more volume in general with repeat clients. It tells us when someone's listed their house. It tells us when someone's gotten their credit pool. It tells us when someone can get rid of their mortgage insurance or they got equity in the home. That's been a real good communicator for us over the past about a year and a half, two years.
1: So what do they have like an Alexa in their house listing? Hey, they're getting divorced. Let's <laughs> call them. No, I'm just kidding. That'd be yeah, like, they can pick this stuff up. It's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy that stuff that yes. Yeah, so, okay. Sales boomerang. That's a great tip for people. So that's on closed mortgages that you guys do. What do you do on the front end? So pre-approval stuff. Do you use anything there for follow-up or what do you find useful there?
0: Not so much for the follow-up other than just kind of literally getting your hands wet and trying to keep a system to keep calling them. Funny you say that because I haven't thought of that kind of system, but I don't know of one out there that kind of stays on them and would send a drip campaign to them like, hey, how's the home buying process going every month or month and a half? I haven't heard of one of those. So if anybody knows of one, please let me know. Right, right. Um, there's not much of that. In the pre qualification side of things in Arizona, it moves quickly. So, very rarely is someone getting pre qualified and then not buying a house for six months or a year or something. But on our side of things, we've tried to change the narrative with pre qualifications to be more consumer direct to say, you know, we advertise on the radio, which I'm sure we'll get into, but call us first, get pre qualified with us first. Your realtor is going to want you to get pre qualified first. So, don't even reach out to them yet. Call us. Let's get pre qualified and then take it from there. And the narrative on that's been, there's surprisingly a few people that don't actually have realtors, don't have realtors in the family or know anybody. And so I'm taking that client and handing it off to some of our realtor partners and it's on a silver platter.
1: Yeah. Pre-qualified, all ready to go. And in a year, how many of those do you think you'd get? Like these unattached, these orphan buyers, if we call them You know, that.
0: anywhere from five to 10 a month on average, but some months you get 15 and some months you get two. You right. know, it's really weird how the world's structured that way. where. You can just be on fire for two months and then nothing for two months. Yeah,
1: right. That's really good. But
0: I would say our organization needs to change the narrative on that. I mean, obviously, we're on the radio, so we've been saying it a lot. I'd love to see everybody be saying that same message on Facebook, on radio, on TV, wherever your people are watching you. We need to change the narrative in the mortgage industry to say, get pre-qualified first.
1: The first step, we'll find the property because that's the sexy part, right? Like get the money sorted. And do you find a lot of your buyers are existing homeowners or are they first time? Like how many of them are repeat? Like this is their second, third property versus first time buyer.
0: It's definitely more heavy on the second and repeat buyers at this time, because honestly, in Arizona, over the past nine months to a year, the first time home buyers are pretty much done. I mean, they're squeezed squeezed out of the
1: market, right? Yeah, yeah, they're they're squeezed out.
0: But it was a lot more heavier on that in the years prior to the run up in value in Arizona. But right now, there's not. I mean, I almost dread when someone's like, I'm a first time home buyer calling in. I'm like, oh, gosh, this isn't going to be good. You're not going to be able to buy anything. I mean, it's turned into you have to have a two income household in Arizona for the most part.
1: Right. And do you see a lot of, and this is true for any market, but people who have a property, so they're a repeat buyer, and then instead of selling it, keep that property as a rental and buying another? Is that a common practice or are most people wanting to just have the one?
0: You know, in Arizona right now, I'm noticing that it's not that way anymore. It used to be that way. Like the previous 10 years of me doing this, it was definitely people would want to keep the one rented out and keep it as an investment property. But now people are stuck on this stigma that they're going to sell real high, that we're going to sell at a high price. And I'm like, yeah, but you're going to buy at a high price. You know, so is is that the best idea for you? So a lot of them, almost everybody is selling their home, taking all of the equity that they're getting out of that and putting it into a new home. That's another tool that I think our industry needs to get is more of the financial advising part of things. I'm trying to tell everybody, you don't need to put that $400,000 down at a three and a half percent interest rate. Put your 20% down, avoid the mortgage insurance and take the rest of the other money and invest it with a financial advisor. I'm not a financial advisor. Invest it with somebody else you can offer value on that side to a financial advisor too, saying, hey i got a client that's got two hundred yeah. thousand. take care of them the financial advisor will remember that and start sending people your way too
1: we always think about like think two or three steps ahead two or three mortgages ahead like you know how do i help them and, and they don't have to do it but i'm going to tell them hey here's a path you could choose right yeah so, listen to um, me or
0: not i mean it's, yeah. it goes the same way with someone trying to go to a lower term we all know they're not going to pay off the mortgage in 15 years they're not going to keep the mortgage for 15 years but if you get them on a 15-year mortgage they call you back in five years. They got a lot more equity in the home. They trust your advice at that point. You gave them rock solid advice. They'll always be grateful for that.
2: Yeah,
1: totally. That's true. Okay, so what's the single biggest change you made your business in the last 12 months? I would
0: say it's been networking with some of the other top
1: producers in the country and learning what's made them
0: successful and just always staying humble as far as there's always someone out there that's got a better practice than you, in my opinion. I always have felt that way and believe that way. So I've been in a mastermind group of just some local guys on the West Coast over the past few years and just becoming real good friends with them. And now family friends, like figuring out what they're doing to be successful, because they may word something differently to a client that I've never even thought of. And that helps me turn five more clients into 10. So I think just networking with like minded or top individuals
1: has been amazing. That's that's something you guys you hadn't done before. That's kind of like you hadn't been doing something like that.
0: No, I mean, we weren't doing any of that up until there was an association called AIM out here that started mm-hmm. up that I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with. That group really brought a lot of the community together, and we were never doing that as a community before that. And it's just progressively gotten better every single year with meeting with other like-minded people or chatting with them or what's successful for you, what are you doing? You know, some people are doing realtor workshops, some are doing first-time homebuyer seminars in other parts of the state but just learning what other people are doing and trying to integrate that into our business little by little. I mean, not everything's going to work, but I might take one piece out of 10 that that person gave me and it turns our business into something better.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I always say there's no problem in your business. Somebody else hasn't already solved, right? Yeah. It's just who's (laughs) got the answers. Like, here's the question on the test. Who's got it? Imagine. Right. And unfortunately mortgage brokers typically have been like kind of keep our own little thing here, but we can all win, man. There's so much market share. There's so much opportunity. And if you're good at your craft, then it's just going to be better for you, right? Um, Well, I
0: think that goes back to you have to be humbled in that kind of thing because there's obviously a lot of arrogant people in our industry, too, in our business, and they're obviously pretty successful, I would imagine, but I've always felt
1: I can take something from everybody and try to integrate it into our business. Yeah. I always say if the garbage man has a good idea, I don't care. I'm like, we're (laughs) doing that. That guy, he just walked by, he said, I'm like, that's freaking brilliant. Let's do it. Let's hire him. Like, I do not care where good ideas come from because, and often I also find the really innovative ideas come from outside our industry because we're all kind of doing the same thing. We're all kind of like a big, we're like herd, right? Going in a direction. And then you see something, you're like, hey, how do I copy that here? That's what my brain thinks like. So radio is a big source of your guys' business, sometimes up to 50%. You guys have been crushing radio for a long time. So... If somebody was wanting to do radio, and this is terrestrial local radio, so what type of stations have you found success on? I got a couple questions about this that I think will be helpful for people that, you know, again, back to this whole idea of somebody wants to do it in another market, whatever, how you'd advise them. So what kind of stations do you find work best?
0: I would say the most important thing if you're ever going to get on radio is you have to stay on and stay consistent. You have to be on for. A good amount of time. That's number one. And then so what we we'll what is a good amount of time? Yeah, I would say two years for sure. Two years, you'll keep booming after two years. I mean, if you can make a year and it's not that bad, continue moving forward, but you absolutely cannot quit in less than a year or it's, don't even waste your time. So if yeah. you hear the budget and it's more than you want to spend in a year, then it's not for you. It's not for the faint of heart on some of these things, but I can tell you if you stay on and you stay consistent with your message and to answer your question, talk radio is all that we do. If you can stay on that for at least two years, things will just keep flying from there. Every single year will get better and better and better. But I think two years is the breaking point, but one year is possible, but it's so, all talk radio for
1: us. For you, the other piece was local, right? Like, so you guys are yep. not, you're not like trying to spread, you've got a limited marketing budget. You can't be, you know, national. You have to actually go super focused. So are you in multiple cities or is it in like one major area? Where would those stations be? So it's Maricopa
0: County is like one big, Phoenix, I guess you could say. Maricopa County's got, I think, four million people, four and a half million people in it. So the message has been we're local, we're we're in your neighborhoods, we go to your soccer games with our kids and your kids. You know, we've driven that point home. We never ever have discussed rates one time on the radio. We've never said rates. It's always been about trying to have the person understand that we're here to help you more than just hey, our rates two and a half, call us, you know, or three and a half, whatever. So, we never have discussed rates. It's always been talk radio. And a big thing that we've always done is it's more expensive, but has had the live endorsement from the radio person. So, whoever the talent
1: is that's doing the talking on the shows, we've always gotten a live endorsement from them. Right. So, that would be like at the beginning of a session hey, talk to, you know, Lund Mortgage, whatever. And so, he has like an ad read that he goes into different segments. Is that how that works?
0: Yeah, so it's like you know, if you and I are on a show right now and we're going for twenty minutes strong, they're staying on the radio station because we've been talking consistently for twenty minutes, and then they'll just right after that they'll segue right into the commercial. You know, after you and I have been chatting for twenty minutes, so with talk radio, no one's changing the station; it just stays on constantly. If you're on music radio, if the song stinks, they change it. Go to oh, I've heard constantly,
1: like yeah, right. So, but you're right; talk radio is different. If you like the host and the whole thing, you don't usually end it. Okay, that's really good advice. So, play the long game probably two years right so if the budget freaks you out don't do it local is key so don't try to you know do everything get the live endorsement and then don't talk about rates unless you want to make it all about rate like unless you're a rate shop but otherwise then you're just basically
0: yeah we literally just saying you know family owned and operated we're local we've been in business for 15 20 years we talk a little bit about some program not programs you don't get in the weeds on programs a lot but it's more of just stating how you can bring value to the borrower, how you can help them and just understanding that we're here for you as a yeah. client. We're here for the client. So we do a lot of our practice has been treat someone like their family. We're close to a retirement community out here. I'll get calls from a 90 year old lady that's got 70,000 and she's got a 4% interest rate back when they were two and a half. And I'm saying just stay with it. 70,000, it's going to cost you too much to redo it. You're five years right. into it, leave it alone but you'll gain a lot more clients by just being honest as you can be with them. Turning yeah, away yeah, the business stuff, sometimes yeah. has driven in way more business for us. And if you're legitimately being honest, I'm treating someone like I would want
1: you to treat my grandmother. If she called it. Right. Say no and grow. And people trust you more when you actually tell them no often. like oh, I, I get people that get mad. They get mad and I go, listen, I'm just telling you
0: the right thing. And then I got to bring them back into the conversation. And they're like, okay, no, I get it. I understand now, but they definitely get mad originally you know, that we're rejecting their business. Like, I'm not rejecting it. I wouldn't do it on my own deal. That's why I'm right. rejecting
1: it. Right, right. You're building a massive amount of trust in the process. Okay, so what's the one change you made in your business or what's something you're planning to do in the next 90 days? Obviously,
0: it is purchase season. They're going to continue to be purchase season out here in Arizona. So we're going to try to do a lot more of, we're going to use the radio to build up more of these seminars, to try and get, you know, some realtor partners to come out and discuss more of the mortgage industry and where things are at and where we think they're going in the future. And then trying to figure out how to navigate away from just having a first time home buyer workshop, because that's not going to work in Arizona necessarily, but we're trying to get some sort of a seminar up that we can have home buyers come out and ask questions, whether it be in investing in investment properties or just buying a second home or what's the future going to hold for pricing because everybody in Arizona has PTSD about 2008, they're all scared that the prices have gone up too quick and it's going to collapse and yeah, I think it's that's interesting how you concern. can have
1: like our market went down but very little so we don't have that burned in our conscience of like boom this drop in the so that does affect people's decisions on you know whether they want to keep both houses you know in, yeah like that makes a big difference so interesting okay
0: in arizona you can go two hours away and get away from the 115 degree heat in the summer so a lot of people out here are instead of buying a eight hundred thousand dollar home or a million dollar home, they're buying two four hundreds or two five hundreds. One right. in their right. community and then one up north. It's cooler weather. There's a lot more of the younger generation is wanting to do that, demographically speaking. So some advice that we could add on those kind of things about how do you buy a second home? What's ten percent down? Go through the down payment. Those kind of things.
1: Right, right. You're like summer home basically to get out of the heat. Yes. Uh, yeah, for sure. Take the heat. That's good. Okay. So let me ask some rapid fire questions. What's one thing people can't find out about you from Google? That uh, we have four kids. Oh, wow. How old? 24, 11, nine, and seven. We've got three. And somebody told me once three kids is like a blender with the lid off. So you kind of had, maybe not now, but when they were little, it was like crazy. Now it's, it's, oh, crazy. yeah, running around like crazy. I
0: don't think you can't find it on Google. You can probably on a website. What's one movie everybody should watch at least once? The Secret. I watched that in 2008, and it was mind changing to me because that goes back to the law of attraction. And it's something that you integrate in every part of your life. You integrate it definitely in business. I want to be around the other successful people. I want to be in their circle. I want to know what they're doing. I want to integrate in with them. And then you want your children to follow that law of attraction too. If you don't want them hanging out with the deadbeats, they're going to end up being a deadbeat. You want them to try and navigate their way to the upper echelon of kids in school. So The Secret was a movie for me. It's not really a movie per se, but it was something that's changed my mentality of living life tremendously.
1: But it's a mindset shift too. It's like getting a new operating system for how you view things in a way.
0: Other than that, the next best movie is Dumb and Dumber.
1: Oh, dude, I love Dumb. <laughs> I just did a Dumb and Dumber clip because I'm on, I'm doing TikTok now. I just did a clip. I'm gonna send it to you. And do you remember the scene where they got the case full of money, or the sort of the oh, yeah. case full of the receipts? So I've got, yep. hey, the mortgage broker's like, hey, where's your down payment? And the customer's like, hey, I'm really organizing my paperwork. Anyways, I'll send it to you. It's it like all said. falls out. Yeah. yeah it out, and but he's but like, I Hey, don't, don't lose it. this one. It's a big one. two hundred seventy yeah, you may want to hang on to that IOU. <laughs> <laughs> I know. That movie's so funny. Okay. What's one software program or tool that you couldn't run your business without? You know,
0: right now we've integrated into Arrive as our LOS, POS, and that one's really changed our lives. We were dinosaurs working with the point earlier in our system, and I'm so thankful to get off of that. It was nice while it was around, but as technology got better over time, we've moved in with Arrive and we're using that like crazy now. I mean, that's a big, big part of our system. And obviously, as I said earlier, sales boomerang has been amazing.
1: Okay. And what do you think is going to happen with rates in the next 12 months?
0: I think they're going to probably go up another half percent would be kind of treacherous. I could see them going up another half percent. But the other thing that I've been talking to a lot of our borrowers about is don't be afraid to take an arm and the arms are getting a little bit better right now because it's inevitable that we're going to have a recession in the next one to three years. I've read a bunch of stuff from other people in the industry that are saying the feds are going to cause a recession, not intentionally per se, but it's going to happen intentionally because they're going to want to kick rates up too fast. And so, I've tried to stick with the mindset that you're going to probably get out of this rate in the next three years, if not sooner. So don't look at this as being your dead last mortgage. Do not pay a bunch of fees. There's no reason to buy points down or any of that stuff now. If you get stuck in four and a quarter, four and a half in the future, don't worry about it. We're going to get out of it in the next few years when a recession happens.
1: Yeah, it's like they use the rates, they raise the rates to slow things down. But when they slow down, then they got to lower the rates. And so it's good for the mortgage (laughs) business. Well, most mortgage brokers, like at least in Canada, we're all in arms We're variable. I've been in this long enough to know I am not taking a fixed mortgage. I've been saying
0: that. I've been saying that because I heard about that rumor. Now you've confirmed it for me as being there. But I've heard that that's the case in Canada. So I've been telling everybody, if I could wave a magic wand, you know, like the Men in Black movie where he puts that light of yeah, the flashy face. thing.
1: That would be an awesome tool. Get,
0: yes. I would get rid of 30 year mortgages altogether. It would, obviously it'd be 30 year amortized loans, but it would be five, seven and 10. And that's it because nobody keeps these things long enough.
1: Yeah. In Canada that we don't have 30 year mortgages. We only have up to 10. Okay. So last question. So if we could put you in the DeLorean from the movie back to the future, send you back to your first day as a mortgage broker. And you could say, here's what you need to do. Here's your th- advice. What would be the advice you give yourself? At that time it would
0: have been treat people how you want your family to be treated. Because I think if you're doing that, you're always going to be successful in the industry, as long as you're doing what's right for clients. Like we said earlier, if I tell someone the truth, they're going to tell 10 other people. If I lie to them, they're going to tell 50, Yeah, you know, and I'm going to lose those 50. So I think that would be a big one. I would say, I've always gotten freaked out about rates. I would say, don't worry about rates, where rates go is where they go. You can't control them. You're not going to change them. Just do what's best for the client in that rate period. And then the other one would be probably just find out who the successful people are right now and get to know their business and talk to them and chat with them and figure out what they're doing to make them successful. It would have speed rushed me through making
1: a lot of mistakes. If you right. Think. Oh, I always cheat on the test. It's like somebody yes, has the exactly. answer. Right. I told I my like kids that, that too. I like like that you, idea. In, in school, you can't cheat on the test. When you get out of school, you cheat on the test. Every chance you get, you find yes. somebody who knows what they're doing and get them to help you. Hey Matt, this has been a lot of fun, buddy. I appreciate it. Good to get to know you. Where can people find you online?
0: LundMortgageTeam.com is where we're at on there. A lot of stuff just goes directly through there. I'm not big yet, as we were talking about earlier on yeah, we'll get the social there. media
1: side, but I got to get there. I'll we'll Get somebody I on your like team, maybe your wife. Hey, man, <laughs> yes. good chatting with you. You too. Thank you very much for having me. Hey, thanks again for having to listen to that episode with Matt. If you're listening to this, and you're like, man, how do I get 1100 mortgages? That's crazy. And of course, radio is one way that you can grow your business, and they've built a very great reputation in their community. They're kind of like the local celebrities. There's many ways to do it. So go check out tenloansamonth.com. We have an academy there with some amazing coaches. They all have a different superpower, a different set of skills that they can help you with. We only open it a few times a year. Check out 10loansamonth.com. And in this upcoming segment, I'm going to be talking to Ben McCabe about Grey Divorce. Hey, Ben, welcome to Ask the Experts. Hey, Scott, good to be back. So, hey, let's talk about something called gray divorce, which maybe you can define that for us. And then we'll talk about how it's a trend that's increasing and what people's options typically are when, you know, they're seniors and they're getting divorced. So why don't you dive into that? Yeah, yeah,
2: for sure. So a gray divorce is basically a divorce that impacts seniors, right? So folks that have been in marriages for, you know, 20, 30, 40 years. And look, divorce is obviously always financially challenging for the people involved, but great divorce presents a specific set of challenges, namely that usually the couple are in the decumulation phase of their financial life cycle, right? So they spent their careers accumulating retirement assets and they're now decumulating those. And if you had planned to decumulate those assets over one household and now you need to figure out how to do it over two, it can be tricky to make the math work.
1: Right. Decumulate sounds like a great. It's a nice word for your money's gonna be spent. So you know, <laughs> exactly. interestingly the stats on divorce, like so this is in the US and it's similar in Canada, but overall thirty-four percent of adults get divorced. But the age of 55 and up is actually higher at 43%. So there's a trend here, right? And maybe who knows what that's, you know, we're not experts on that. But ultimately, these things create a problem for both people. And so why don't you walk me through some of the scenarios that people typically look at?
2: Yeah, so obviously, one of the major things that needs to get resolved as part of any divorce settlement is what to do with the home. Right, that's oftentimes one of the most significant assets that needs to be resolved as part of the divorce settlement, and you know one of the you know traditional options for dealing with this would be to use a traditional cash pay mortgage to resolve it. Right, so say you know if a home appraised out at a million bucks, then you know let's say get a fifty percent loan value mortgage and use that to pay out the spouse that's going to be leaving the house. Now, one of the challenges with that solution for senior borrowers is they might not have income to support that. Right, they might not qualify. And even if they could qualify, they might not have the income to be able to live comfortably, you know, in retirement with that asset and having to manage a cash pay mortgage payments. For a lot of seniors, you know, that solution is really off the table. Right. So, okay. So option one, possibly
1: if they qualify more a cash pay mortgage, what would be another scenario that people would typically look at?
2: Yeah. I mean, unfortunately, this is the most common solution for seniors in this situation is that there is no you know, financing solution that they can think of. So they end up selling the home and splitting the proceeds. And then in most cases, probably renting for the rest of their retirement, which is obviously you know, a suboptimal outcome for both.
1: Right. And if you look at the rent, the thing is, if you go into that scenario, rent increases, rent has gone up a lot and it's continuing. There's a lot of pressure on rent. So on a fixed income with a increasing rent over time is not awesome. So option one, traditional cash pay option two: sell Go into the rental market potentially, and take your chances. And then, what's the third option?
2: Yeah, so we actually, you know, did the third option for a couple last week. So effectively, this is the idea of using a reverse mortgage as the tool to facilitate the resolution here. So we were working with a couple that were based in Belleville. They bought the house together in the early '90s. You know, I think the husband was 72, the wife was 70. The property was free and clear, but they didn't have a lot of income. They were both just living off of CPP and OAS, and they had about 100k of savings and the house appraised out at just under 400k so that was clearly the most valuable asset you know in the marriage that needed to get resolved there and so what they did and they actually were working with a mortgage broker who referred them to us they applied for a reverse mortgage with us we authorized them for just under 200k that was structured into the overall separation agreement so instead of a $400,000 fully equitized home that they would need to figure out what to do with they now effectively had 200k in home equity and 200k in cash Mm-hmm. Right. So as part of the mortgage transaction, the funds from the mortgage were dispersed to the husband. The husband came off title simultaneously. So basically the wife became our client and sole title holder of the home with the reverse mortgage in place. So obviously no cash pay requirement for her, which obviously she wouldn't be able to support given her income. And basically, you know, both spouses are able to kind of move on. So in the scheme of you know, obviously a really highly unfortunate and suboptimal outcome for these folks, you know, potentially the best possible resolution for them in this case. Right. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense, actually.
1: And like, obviously, a single person with OAS and CPP is not qualifying for a mortgage, a traditional mortgage. And even if they did, how are they going to make the payments? Exactly. Even if you said yes, okay, now I got to make payments on it. So the whole situation's not ideal. But again, when something not ideal happens, you got to look at options. And so option one, obviously, traditional cash pay mortgage, if you qualify, that's not always often the case when it comes to people that are sort of in their senior's Second option would be potentially sell a property, but now if you can't buy another property with that equity, you're both looking at renting and that's not ideal either. And then the final option would be your third option, reverse mortgage, where one of the people could keep the home and you could use that as a payout. So it's
2: great that you had that solution. Any kind of final thoughts on this whole topic of great divorce and reverse mortgages? Yeah. I mean, I think obviously the first one is to summarize a bit. If you're a broker and you've got clients that are thinking about using a mortgage as part of their overall divorce settlement, if they're older, think it a reverse. A reverse could be the right solution to manage a limited cash flow situation. And then, you know, I think the second thing for brokers would be if you know any family lawyers, you might not have considered them as a potential referral source, but in this scenario, they potentially could be. Right. Because somebody's going to help them structure this in most cases they're not just doing this on a napkin and a
1: handshake so if you guys are listening to this yeah, it sounds like the best possible outcome given the situation and you know, obviously it was best for both of them to kind of move on but if you guys are listening check out bloomfin.ca ben and his team can help you guys just like he did with this mortgage broker help that person keep their home the other person was able to move on and as you said a suboptimum outcome but still a better outcome than they could have had in other scenarios so ben thanks so much man for coming on chat with me thanks Scott. All right, thanks again for listening. I had a great conversation today with Matt and with Ben. So if you're listening to this, you're like, man, there's so much content in these podcasts. Yes, but this is literally just the tip of the iceberg. 400 plus podcast episodes. You can go keyword search. You can type in grey divorce, for instance, and you can find exactly in the podcast episodes where we bring that up. Or reverse mortgages. Or first time buyer or insert whatever word you want. And it'll find every time that is mentioned and you can literally click and jump right to that spot. You can listen to it and you can even like copy the text. So you can be like, Hey, that was a great script. Copy it. Check that out at brokering.com It's totally free to set up. It's a power search account. Check them out. And thanks again for checking out this episode. This is an I
2: love mortgage brokering production.